0: Amen. please remain standing if you're able and turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 27. We're uh, switching up uh, the series from the evening services. Uh, I've been wanting to find a way to do that for a while just to um, bring some Old Testament sermons to the morning, and I wanted to do it with the Genesis sermons and uh, was thinking about doing it when I got back, and Alex suggested it uh, as well, so uh, as good a time as any. We're um, jumping in right where we left off in the evening services. Uh, uh, I was almost tempted to preach the last sermon over again to give you the context, but I think it'll be fine if we just read the, uh, the full chapter. We are uh, going to be looking at verses 30 um, through uh, 46 to the end of the chapter uh, today. We looked at the previous verses the last time we were together um, on that Sunday evening. So we'll read the entire chapter. Hear God's holy word. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats Uh, that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing." His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. His mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. That people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out, From the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And uh, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and he said who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him yes and he shall be blessed as soon as Esau heard the words of his father he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father bless me even me also my father But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, "Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered him and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise and flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. And stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. The last time uh, we were together in the evenings, we we were looking at those first 29 verses of this chapter, and we saw there that uh, man's will was not done. God's sovereign will was done. It was brought to pass despite the efforts of these people who tried so hard to thwart it. God had his way. He brought his word to fulfillment. And we see that happening even in the midst of all this sin and deception by these people. Even through the deception of these people, God brought his will to pass. He had said previously, the older will serve the younger. That was God's prophetic Word about Jacob and Esau. Convention would have Esau, the firstborn, being the one to receive the blessing. But God said it would not be so. And God determined that far in advance, before either child was born, God said that. This was a a promise of God, and it wasn't Uh, anything that God conditioned upon um, the character of these individuals, Jacob and Esau, or their conduct, it wasn't conditioned upon anything either one did. Long before they were born, long before they'd done anything good or bad, God said it would be this way. God said that the line of promise would flow through Jacob, rather than the firstborn Esau. Of course, we see all this plotting. First of all, Isaac and Esau were plotting to thwart God's will. That's what those opening verses were all about. But God thwarted them. Isaac wanted Esau to receive the blessing, despite the fact that he knew full well what God had said The older shall serve the younger. And, of course, Esau wanted that as well. So they were plotting. But then Rebekah, the mother, and Jacob, the youngest, were plotting to deceive and usurp Isaac. Isaac was usurping God, and they sought to usurp Isaac. And this was wrong as well, what Rebekah and Jacob did. Even though they were trying to bring about what God had promised to begin with, the way they went about it was wrong. Their plan was terrible and deceitful and destructive. Even though Isaac's plan was wrong, their second wrong didn't make it right. And yet God blessed Jacob in any case, despite his sin, despite his mother's sin, despite Jacob's ungodly character. We have to see that here. He's kind of a little rat. He's kind of a snake. He's a deceiver. We see the the, the trickery in in this man. This is an, an ungodly character. And this shows us something. It shows us something that should be very comforting to us. God's blessing... Comes to his people by grace alone. And not because we deserve it. Not because of our efforts to do good or to be good. We're not good. And we've not earned anything good from God. And we see that here with Jacob. Jacob should be the poster boy for salvation by grace alone. That's what we really see here. He's not one of the good guys. He was a bad guy, just the opposite. And he deserved no blessing. He deserved to be rejected. And yet God chose to bless him. He chose Jacob, and he set his blessing upon Jacob. He established his covenant with Jacob, and through Jacob, the ultimate child. Of Abraham would eventually come into the world, the true seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, God was showing here his grace, a beautiful picture of the glory of his grace by choosing this rascal, Jacob. That should be a great encouragement to us because we should, we should see ourselves in Jacob. We're, we're a lot like Jacob. We're not good either. We're so far from being good enough to merit or deserve God's salvation. Like Jacob, we deserve to be rejected. And we're completely dependent upon God to lavish his grace upon us. And he has done that. By his amazing grace, he chose us despite what we are. And he set his love upon us despite that we deserve the opposite. And he redeemed us through his Son. We're so unworthy of this. It's all of God's grace that any of us is saved. But again, let's go back to Jacob's actions here. They were sinful. And sin has Consequences. We need to realize this. Jacob needed to realize this as well. He's not going to get off the hook just because God is gracious. There are going to be consequences. He's going to experience some very painful consequences of his sin, and they're going to start coming pretty quickly. But even those consequences are evidence of God's grace. Jacob is going to be experiencing those consequences as the discipline of the Lord in his life that God uses in his life because he loves him. God loves this man, Jacob, despite his unlovableness. He loves him too much to leave him the way he is. He's going to change Jacob, he's going to transform him. For the better and that's the thing about God the true God saves his people in this way he saves us by his grace alone and not because we're good but then once he saves us he begins to make us good he begins to transform us little by little day by day And he intends to do this for each of his children. and We as believers in Christ are sons of God. And as his sons, we can expect him to do this in our lives. We should expect that he will sanctify us. Those who are justified will be sanctified. And he will chasten us. As his beloved children, he will discipline us, correct us, form us in his own image. He'll make us more and more like his one and only eternal son, Jesus. As we come to verses 30 to 36 here, we see Esau's reaction to Jacob stealing the blessing. As soon as Isaac has finished blessing Jacob, Esau comes back home from the hunt, and he's got uh, his game, and he quickly prepares that savory food that his father loves so much, cooks it up just the way dad likes it, and he brought it in as requested. But lo and behold, Isaac already had a full belly. After eating the meal that Jacob brought to him, Esau comes in clueless and says, Father, arise, eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. He's just doing what his dad said, and he's been successful, and he, now he's ready for that blessing. Isaac was stunned, confused by this. He says, Who are you? Esau replied, Well, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. He's probably thinking, man, what's wrong with dad here? And look at what Isaac does when he realizes instantly what had happened. Verse 33 says, He trembled violently. And he said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it. Just before you came, And I blessed him. Yes, indeed, he shall be blessed. Isaac realized what had happened. He had blessed the wrong son. Of course, Jacob was the right son in God's plan, but that certainly wasn't Isaac's plan. He was trying to undo God's plan and do his plan. And he realizes in this moment that God has totally turned the tables on him. He was trying to usurp God and his will, but God has usurped him, and he knows it. I don't think he's just angry here that he got tricked, got the wool pulled over his eyes. He's shaken because he realizes that he was fighting against God, and God would not have it. God turned the tables on him. Barnhouse comments on this event. He says, before every great work of grace, there must be a great earthquake. Isaac had put his personal love of Esau ahead of the will of God. But now down came that idol, and the edifice of his willful love collapsed. The arrogant pride, which had planned to thwart God, was toppled to the ground. I think that's exactly what we see in that verse where Isaac is trembling so violently. His trembling was the result of realizing that he was wrong, realizing his sin, realizing that he'd been undone, realizing that his will was wrong, and it was now undone. It seems that he's finally beginning to collapse in submission to God's will, or at least in recognition that the Lord has accomplished His will. But to the point of barnhouse, those earthquakes that have to sometimes happen, sometimes the Lord has to really shake us up before we're willing To submit to his will. It shouldn't be that way, but sadly, often it is. It was that way for Isaac here, and often it's that way for us. Ideally, we should be marked as Christians by consistent submission to God's will, the desire to submit and obey his revealed will. Sadly, the fact of the matter is that we're very much like Isaac more often than we'd like to admit. None of us is very consistent and committed in our submission to God's will. Often God has to send those earthquakes our way. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're not believers, but it does mean that as believers we still have a long way to go and God is gracious in using whatever He needs to use to bring us along and to get us to that point where we grow in our willingness to submit to Him. Well, so Isaac tells Esau, I blessed your brother, and indeed he will be blessed. Isaac's saying, Look, Esau, I tried. I tried to thwart God's plan, but he thwarted me. His will was done. Seems that uh, between the lines here, we might get a little sense that Isaac is beginning to admit his defeat, beginning to accept what was right to begin with, to accept the fact that Jacob was God's chosen one chosen to receive God's covenant blessings. At least he knows it's been done now. It was unchangeable. And he had even pronounced it himself. Maybe we're seeing a bit of good change here in the character of Isaac. He'd sinned. But he's beginning, at least it seems, to acknowledge the wrong of it. He knows God's will has been done. But we don't see that sadly with Esau, at least not yet. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out crying. We're told he burst out with a a bitter cry and said, Bless me, Father. Bless me also. Esau is not ready to submit to God's will, even now. He's still fighting against it. He's still kicking against it. You look at his anger and bitterness. That's all you see here. And a refusal to accept responsibility for his own actions and so foolishly giving away his birthright. He just blames Jacob for it and cries and cries about it. It's really sad and pretty pathetic. We may be seeing the beginnings of repentance in Isaac, but not in Esau. He just keeps fighting against God's will. But whether he accepts it or not, God's purposes were being established. Like Esau is acting like an unbeliever here. He's just hell bent on having his own way. He has no care or concern about God's will, no real care about spiritual things. Seems to despise spiritual things. Could have cared less about his birthright. The blessing and favor of God uh, really don't mean anything to the unbeliever and. That's kind of what we see here with Esau. One day the unbeliever will recognize how wrong he was in despising spiritual things and not caring about the Lord's favor. They will wish that they had. They will wish for God's blessing. It'll be too late. And they will spend eternity in hell, shaking their fist at God. May the Lord have mercy and keep us from that, us and our children. And may He change our hearts now while there's still time. And in verses 37 to 41... Uh, we see Esau just continuing to beg for Isaac's blessing. But Isaac says, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers, and I have, given to him, uh, I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What can I do for you, my son? Still not good enough. Esau just keeps going and persisting. So Isaac just lays the truth on him, bluntly. He says, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven. By your sword you will live, and you will serve your brother. When you grow restless, you'll break his yoke from your neck. He wasn't getting it. So Isaac really laid it on him here. He says, you're not going to be blessed. Some commentators have called this an anti-blessing. It's the opposite of the, the rich spiritual and material blessing that was pronounced on Jacob. Now Esau, we've already seen, didn't really care about spiritual things, spiritual blessings, but he wanted the material blessings. That's what he's crying about here. But he's even lost that. And that's a picture of how it will end up being for people who reject God and his salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. People want material blessings in this life, but they don't want the Lord. And to be sure, God gives them a taste of many blessings in this life, many material blessings. But for the unbeliever, it won't last. In the end, they will lose everything. Every blessing they've had in this life, every taste of the Lord's goodness. That's... Really, all the natural man wants, he wants those temporal blessings, earthly blessings, material blessings. And that's what God gives them. But if you don't want God's spiritual blessing, you will not be able to keep his material blessings either. In the end, he will take them all away And that person will be left with nothing but eternal torment away from the presence of the Lord and all His goodness. That person needs repentance desperately. That's what we see as the need of Esau here. Repentance. Yet we don't see any sign of it. He just sulks. He just plays the blame game, accusing, pointing the finger at Jacob. He takes no blame for himself. He's just bitter and angry that he didn't get his way. A repentant person would say, I was wrong. I blew it. I messed up. And I don't deserve anything good. When a truly repentant person seeks God for his mercy, it's not just a matter of um, berating yourself for your failures, but it's looking away from your failures to the Lord for his grace and mercy. We don't see anything like that in Esau here. He's just looking at his brother. My brother wronged me. I hate him. I'm the victim. I want to kill him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching and then I will kill my brother. He should have softened his heart and acknowledged God's will. Surely he had heard God's word. The older will serve the younger. He's still kicking against that word from the Lord. He should have swallowed his pride and gone to Jacob humbly and recognized him as God's choice. Ideally, they would have reconciled. And he could have shared in Jacob's blessing. But he cuts himself off from all of that. In the closing verses of the chapter, we see the consequences of all this sin. Not just Esau's, but all the others as well. Again, sin always has consequences. Don't think otherwise. There are consequences to sin. As believers, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive our sins. We look to Him for that forgiveness and cleansing. He died for our sins to atone for them, and we put our trust in Him. But sin is destructive. It's destructive to our lives. It's destructive and damaging to our relationships, certainly to our relationship with God. And for that reason, God allows us to experience consequences. And again, this is God's grace to us. He loves us too much to let sin destroy us. If there were no consequences, we would just go on living in sin. He lets us experience the consequences so that we'll learn to hate it. We'll learn to hate sin that we'll learn to love righteousness, that we'll learn to, to treasure the Lord and his presence reconciled to us. Well, what were the consequences here? We'll just mention a few of them. You could probably think of others, but think of Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, here. Their plan, their sneaky plan, was successful. But at what cost? Isaac was deceived by his wife. Imagine the consequences of that in their relationship. Hopefully, Isaac humbled himself and realized that he'd been doing wrong to begin with and they could just mutually apologize to each other and be reconciled. But Who knows what happened? Surely this hurt their marriage. And yes, Rebecca's favorite son got the blessing. That's what she wanted. But how did that work out? She's going to lose her favorite son. He has to flee from home. And she'll never see him again. She thinks she's going to see him again. She thinks she'll call him back. After Esau cools off, that's not going to happen. She won't see him again. She didn't count on that. She didn't count on those consequences to her sin. It must have broken her heart for years and years to know she would never see her beloved Jacob again. And again, her love for Jacob seems to have been part of the problem parents' love for a child can be idolatrous. And boy, it seems like that's going on here in this passage with both parents, isn't it? Her love for Jacob was an idol that needed to be broken. And think of Jacob and the consequences he's going to have to deal with. He's going to have a rough road ahead of him. He flees for his life, It's going to be a long time before those words of blessing from his father come to fruition in his life. He's going to have many long years to think about all that his sin cost him. He's alienated from his family. It's going to be a long time before he senses God's blessing being realized. And of course, Esau. Esau hates Jacob. Wants to kill him. He's consumed, fantasizing uh, about killing his brother. Esau is responsible for these thoughts, and this attitude of his heart. But at the same time, Jacob was responsible too. And Rebecca for that deception that caused Esau to become so angry and hardened. Think about Esau's relationship with his mother. That must have been badly damaged, if not destroyed. And even Rebekah's plan for Jacob to flee to Laban is going to be part of the consequences of Jacob's sin. Laban, of course is the rascal uh, supreme, and he's going to give Jacob a taste of his own medicine. Jacob was a deceiver, but he's about to be deceived by Laban. And how fitting. And this is God's providence to do his work in Jacob's life. He's disciplining Jacob. He's chastening him. Jacob's going to have to do about 20 years of hard labor for unfair wages. His sin of deception is going to come back to bite him in big ways. But this isn't just a punishment. It's not just bare punishment. This is redemptive work that God is doing through these things. Again, he's teaching Jacob to hate his sin the sin that he was so quick to run into himself, he's going to learn how horrible it is to be on the receiving end of it. And this is God's love that works this way in our lives. And in Jacob's life, he loved Jacob too much to just let him keep going in that way. He wants to transform him. God also loves you and me too much to let us keep going in our sinful ways. He disciplines us. And he does that because he loves us. Now, Children hopefully learn this from their parents as well. We love them too much to let them do foolish, self-destructive things. And so we discipline them. We want them to learn to turn away from uh, sinful behavior and attitudes so that they can be safe, so that they can be happy, so that they can be blessed. And ultimately, we want our children to grow up and learn to discipline themselves and keep themselves from trouble and sin. And that is what God is always going to be doing in our lives as his children. And that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Nobody likes to be disciplined. Nobody likes to experience that. But really, it is the only loving thing to do. And the writer of Hebrews calls us to think about what a tragedy it would be for a child to grow up in a home where their parents don't love them enough to discipline them and make them face the consequences of their sins. Those parents are not acting lovingly. They're not acting like God. They're teaching their kids to live in sin and in self-destructive ways. And this sets those children up for a miserable life without God's blessing without real happiness, the happiness that comes with holiness. Unless God intervenes, that kind of life lived out leads to hell. May the Lord graciously spare us from this. May He Enable us to respond to his loving fatherly discipline with repentance, with faith in his son, and with thankfulness for his great love for us. Let's pray together. Thank you, our Lord and God, for your gracious saving us from our sins. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord, for your, uh, the price that you paid for all our sin. We pray that we would never presume upon your grace and take our sin lightly. We thank you that uh, when you give us your spirit, you continue to work. Graciously changing us and even chastening us to form us into the likeness of Christ. We thank you for that. We thank you that you not only pardon us, but you're also conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be like Him and we long to be with Him and with you, Father, and with you, Holy Spirit, for all eternity. So give us this greatest of all blessings, your spiritual blessings. Continue to do that holy work in all of us by your Spirit. And We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.